Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. So Matthew 13, verse 1 through to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have a vision in the Diocese of Tasmania. Uh, It's to be a church for Tasmania, making disciples of Jesus. That means we want to be a church for every part of Tasmanian life, for education, for government, for business, for healthcare, for the arts, for families. Uh, We want Christians in all of those places being salt 
and light. But we need to do what no one else can do but the church can do to be that church for Tasmania, and that is to make disciples of Jesus. And if we are successful in this vision, then we will see the church grow, and that is our great desire for Tasmania. The New Testament speaks a lot about uh, the growth of the church. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 13, the chapter that our reading comes from today, uh, we find a number of growth stories about the kingdom of God, don't we? The parable of the soils, the seed and sower that we'll look at this morning, but also the parable of the wheat and weeds, the mustard seed, the yeast, all of which speak about the growth of God's kingdom. Well, the parable of the seeds or the four soils is very familiar to most of us, but I want to say uh, four things about it this morning. And the first one is about gospel growth and the sovereign hand of God. We know this parable pretty well, don't we? A sower went out to sow, some seeds fell on the path and they were eaten by birds. Some seeds fell on the rocky ground, there was no soil and so they withered in the sun. Some seeds fell among thorns that choked them out, but some seed fell on the good soil and it produced a great crop. And when Jesus is asked what the parable means, he tells us it's a parable about hearing the word of God. Sometimes God's word is snatched away by the devil. Sometimes God's word is received well, but because the person has no deep roots in God, when persecution and trouble comes, the person falls away. Sometimes when people hear the word of God, the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, he says, squeezes them and the word does nothing. But sometimes in God's kindness, people receive God's word and understand it. And we are blessed with the fruitfulness of the word. Now, the parable doesn't tell us who the sower is, whether it's Jesus himself whether it's God the Father, whether it's the disciples he's commissioned a couple of chapters before, or whether it's the church addressed to the church, to you and me, as we carry out the sowing of the word in our own generation. However, the placement of this parable and its interpretation wrapped around a discussion about the purpose of the parables in verses 10 to 17 makes one thing very clear, that God is the ultimate speaker of his word, and it is with him that the response of people lies. That is, as people respond to the word in different ways, God determines the outcome. The section from 10 to 17 on the purpose of parables at first glance troubles us. Well, I hope it troubles you. You see, we've been so schooled, haven't we, in the art of illustration of using stories to make our message clear. You get told that in your preaching classes. Tell stories so that people understand. But it seems when you read verses 10 to 17 that Jesus is saying that the parables almost obscure the message. Surely the parables were told to make the message of the kingdom plain and understandable. But what does Jesus actually say? Have a look at uh, verse 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Some scholars have been quick to interpret these words as consequence, not purpose. 
That is to say, the consequence of the parables is that some see the story and don't perceive its meaning, that they hear but they don't really listen or understand. But that won't do, will it? That, that doesn't do justice to the text. The appeal to Isaiah 6 to 9 in, verses, in verse 14 makes it very clear that Jesus is saying that he uses the parables precisely for the purpose of election. Have a look at verse 14. He says, in them, in the parables, he's fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes. They have closed ears. They have hardly, sorry, they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. See, what Jesus is saying is that the purpose of his parables is a vehicle of his sovereign electing purpose to give the secrets of the kingdom to his own and to conceal them from those with lazy dispositions or blind eyes who cannot perceive or listen or understand. The parables are a sifting tool for the divinely sovereign God who not only sows the seed and speaks the word, but determines the outcome. The point is, if people understand the parables, if people understand the gospel that we preach to them, you can be sure of one thing, that it's God who has opened their eyes. We have an annual training day uh, for the Diocese of Tasmania. It's called the Bishop's Training Event. I started off uh, calling it the Diocesan Training Event and people told me they didn't like the, the diocese, but they liked the bishop, so can we call it the Bishop's Training Event? <laughs> so uh, that, that was a nice thing. Uh, we come together and uh, we uh, teach people how to make disciples. We can't have a vision to make disciples without training our people uh, to do the very job. And it's easy for people to come along to that training day and think that they can pick up a few tips and go away and be able to make disciples. Pick a few, uh, learn some good music, learn a new program, a new gospel outline, do this and people will get converted. But actually we need to remember that we sit under the divine sovereign hand of God as we go about his work. God grows his church. God is the one who makes some people respond to his message and others not. God is the one who has opened our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I think this is a great encouragement. This is a great encouragement to be every day leading the mission in Tasmania. The greatest disciple-making strategy we have, wherever we're called to minister, is to plead with our gracious heavenly Father, that he will soften calloused hearts, that he will open the eyes of the spiritually blind, that he will unstop the ears of the spiritually deaf, that he will provide the friable soil for the seed of his word. And in his mercy, then turn Tasmanians, Victorians, Australians, our neighbours, our family and friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. Smithton is a little town in the northwest corner of Tasmania. It's the potato growing area of Tasmania. There's an enormous deep fryer in the middle of town. And if you walk around, you can sort of smell chips uh, and they end up in plastic bags in the supermarkets. 
The church uh, there had been a tiny church of 20 people or so for uh, about the last uh, 15 or 20 years. Uh, this is about uh, six years ago. We appointed a new minister there, a graduate of Moore College, and uh, we appointed him. And he went to the place, and his first strategy was to pray. To pray that God would do more than they could ask or imagine in that place. God in his kindness has answered that prayer. Yeah, he did a lot of gospel work, a lot of preaching. But now the church is 90 strong with kids overflowing and they're planning on knocking out the back wall of the church so that they can make room for the people who come. The first thing we learn here is that gospel growth is under the sovereign hand of God. The second thing we learn from this text is that gospel growth is in a spiritually hostile environment. The seed that fell on the path is, and the birds came, sorry, the seed that is sown falls on the path and the birds come and eat it up. In the ancient world, of course, paths through the unfenced fields became trampled and when the seed fell on them, there was no way for it to take root. Wouldn't even have a chance of finding covering, let alone the nutrients under the harsh Mediterranean sun. And it would be easy picking for the wily birds who watched the farmer at work. And when Jesus explains the parable from verse 18, notice what he tells the disciples it's about. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown on the path. My friends, make no mistake, the evil one is lurking near to our sowing of the word, watching from the trees for people with compacted, well-trodden, unreceptive hearts. And he's eager to swoop in and snatch away the word of God. We know that when we're engaged in gospel work, we are engaged in a spiritual battle for people's hearts. It's very obvious where I live. Each year we have a dark pagan arts festival in the middle of winter in Hobart called Dark Mofo, where the cross of Jesus is openly mocked in our streets, where faith is ridiculed, where satanic ritual practices are put forward as art for people to enjoy and are celebrated. We even have our own pagan atonement festival. Every year they make a great paper mache animal, endangered animal, like a swift parrot, and they take it through town and you write your regrets, your sins on pieces of paper and you put it in and they take it down to the water's edge and they set it on fire to set you free. That's atonement, isn't it? pagan atonement and it makes holding out the light of Christ very difficult in that kind of spiritual environment. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. That's what this passage tells us when we are about gospel sowing against the forces of this present darkness as Ephesians 6 calls it. Sometimes more subtle than this but we should never lose sight of the fact that gospel growth is in a spiritually hostile environment. The third thing I want you to notice is that gospel growth is in the context of the world. Seed that fell among rocks is a sign that the word of God being planted in the world where there are pressures and hardships and persecutions that are going to come on our people. When those difficulties arise in the lives of those we're preaching to, the seed, the word that has germinated and taken root in people's lives, withers under pressure. 
We know this in our churches, don't we? We see the word of God lodge in someone's heart and they never seem to go anywhere with it. It doesn't develop. They don't take it in. They don't take it to heart and allow it to grow and develop. And when the tough time comes, they just drift away. You could name the names. I can name the names. The stories of people who seem to have been converted, who waver and slip away into nothingness. The seed that falls among the thorns is the word germinating into faith that gets choked by the cares of the world and the lure of wealth that robs people of their discipleship and entangles them like thorns and draws them into their trap. The ancient words, the cares of the world and the lure of wealth, seem prescient for our contemporary Australian society, don't they? We live in a lucky country. I live in the most beautiful part of Australia, believe me. And we're surrounded by good things and fine food and gorgeous uh, scenery all the time. And it makes a huge challenge to our evangelistic efforts because of the lure of wealth and the beauty of the world. And it challenges even the people in our pews. We have to grapple with them and help them. The fourth observation I want to make about this text is gospel growth and fruitfulness. In spite of all the heaviness of the reality of mission in secular Australia, the spiritual oppression, the lure of wealth, the, the pressure of persecution, the parable reaches this kind of thrilling climax, doesn't it? About the fruitfulness of God's word. When the seed finds good soil that is friable and moist and nutritious, the seed germinates and grows and brings with it great yield. 30, 60, 100 fold, 100 times the little seed you sowed, the word, 100 times. When the gospel finds receptive hearts and it does what it is supposed to do and God opens the eyes of the blind, and people repent and put their faith in Christ and grow as his disciples, there is great fruitfulness. Yes, this is the sovereign work of God, preparing hearts to receive his words. He is the one opening the eyes of the blind. He is the one softening their calloused hearts and doing the miraculous work. But when they receive the word of God, great things happen. Parish of the Hewan is about uh, 40 minutes south of Hobart uh, in a glorious lush valley of apple trees and cherry trees and morning mists. It's the most divine place where a young Ridley graduate has been working for the past uh, nearly 10 years. When he got there, the church was small and weak. The valley has attracted lots of alternate types and there's deep 
spiritual darkness. In 2018, we did a, a tour to pray through every church in the diocese. And when I got to the parish of Huon, an old lady who'd been in the church for many years told me the story about how 20 years ago they came into the church one Sunday morning, morning to find that someone had made an animal sacrifice on the holy table at the front of the church. That kind of spiritual opposition. Cleaned it up spiritually and John went about his work. In the midst of that spiritual darkness, through prayer, through gracious evangelism, through Christianity Explored courses, through ministry to children, through faithful preaching, along with careful work to the church buildings and facilities to make them welcoming, training up leaders, raising up people, training and equipping, the seed found fertile ground. And the most glorious story of God's regeneration of a dead church, now alive and growing because of the fruitfulness of God's word. It's this parable in action, and it's glorious. And it reminds us that gospel fruit comes when the seed is sown. One of the things we've got to learn from this parable is that we need to be about the work of sowing. For if there is to be any germination, any chance of gospel fruit, there's got to be a seed. We have to sow more seed. We have to get about gospeling. We have to find opportunities and be as creative and interesting as we can be to tell people about Jesus. Now, I'm sure Reese will agree with this. I hope you will anyway, that uh, during the great uh, revivals of the 19th century in Britain and North America, there was indeed a great outpouring of the spirit and a great movement of God, a great opening of the eyes of the blind. But in addition to this, there was also a huge increase in the preaching of the gospel. One of the factors of the great number of conversions to Christ was the great number of sermons that were preached, the great number of seed, seeds that were sown, thousands upon thousands of them. In the back of the hall in uh, uh, the church in New Norfolk, which is uh, just north of Hobart, there is a strange kind of wooden contraption with uh, a bicycle wheel on it. It looks like kind of an ice cream, an old fashioned ice cream van that you might push around town. But on the top is a lectern. What is that? It was the mobile pulpit of the first Anglican minister in Tasmania, Robert Knopwood, who would put it behind his horse or something, I guess, and pull it around the countryside and preach the word. Now, Robert Knopwood is not a person with a magnificent reputation, I have to say. Uh, he had an unfortunate uh, habit of being a drinker, so much so that we have not one but two uh, pubs in Hobart named after him. <laughs> one called Noppies and one called Preachers in Knopwood Lane. That's uh, what uh, he has given to us. His uh, picture hangs outside my office and I shake my head every time I walk past it. <laughs> But despite all that, Knopwood was a great itinerant preacher. He was a sower of the word, and he sowed lots of seed in Tasmania. May we emulate our ancestors in our generation in the vigorous, faithful, 
repetitive, courageous preaching of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Sowing seed wherever we find ground to sow it on. Praying to the Lord that he would make the ground receptive. Praying that the Lord would open people's eyes. Aware that the devil's lurking, trying to steal the seed away. Aware that the people you're preaching to are going to face persecution and pressures and the lure of wealth and the, the, the beauty of the world that's going to swallow them up. But preach we must. Sow the seed we must. Because what Tasmanians need to know, what Melbournians need to know, what Australians all over need to know more than anything else is that Jesus died for their sins. And he rose again for their hope of glory. And he calls them to repentance and faith. And he will give them salvation and give us the fruitfulness of his word. It's a glorious task that God has committed us to, to be sowers of the seed, telling the old, old story of Jesus and his love, so that when the seed hits the fertile ground, God brings the growth and a harvest for him 30, 60, 100 fold. May this be true to the glory of God. Amen.